Welcome to another episode of The Open Door. Brought to you by Legendary Living Arts and Waking Way Productions. We are your hosts, Kelly. And Kelly. We invite you to walk through the door with us to explore different perspectives on health, wellness, reality, and everything in between. Today we're going to be talking about perspectives and how perspectives, especially in movement, uh, we can come to a better understanding of perspectives on how to move our bodies when we know the context of where our movement is coming from. And Kelly, you were talking, this is why we decided to start this podcast, is you were talking about when you went for your agatsu training in Mason Club and how there was a lot of animal movements and you understood that from a martial arts perspective because that's really big in the Chinese internal martial arts and it's been around for thousands of years. But in our Western fitness context, it's kind of a new thing and people are like, oh, wow, wow, this is so new when it's actually something that's been around for a while and then we don't really understand something because we don't understand the context it came from. Yeah, yeah. When I went and did my Mason Club certification in Regina, you know, the Agassi certification level one for Mason Club, we ended up doing uh, animal movements every day. Uh, I believe it was like twice a day, um, halfway through the morning and halfway through the afternoon. And it was like, oh, cool, gorilla, oh, bear, oh, scorpion. I haven't, you know, done these movements in like forever. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, so, you know, snap, crackle, pop. It's like, no, wait, I can still do it. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> you know, um, it was it was really, really interesting because I, I was kind of surprised that we did so much animal movement. And I get it because understanding how to... Um, build a class, create a class was part of the learning process. But you know, I was I was there for for Mason Club and to understand how to safely use Mason Club and incorporate it in in my training and how to teach it to other people. So I, w- I was a little surprised at at the um, the animal movements, and you know, yeah, as a martial artist, it's like it's something that I've known about forever. I mean, ever since I first started doing judo, gosh, when I was like a kid, um, eight, seven, eight, something like that at the U of M, we'd, we'd run around, we'd do, uh, you know, monkey crawls, duck walks, um, you know, go, go into a, a, a bear walk from a, a roll. And, you know, those are just normal things in the martial arts. And it's been really interesting in terms of understanding, like when, when I did my Agatsu certification, it was really interesting to see how basically everybody there had never seen it unless they'd done this certification before or they'd done, you know, previous training before. Uh, there's a huge gap in Western movement information, I find where there's a lot of European or Eurocentric think in terms of traditional sports as being the movements that are relevant to a healthy body. And when I was learning the martial arts, when I learned judo, karate, when I did Kimball karate, we did an awful lot of that, a lot of, a lot of that uh, animal movement. And one of the things that I've, that I've realized over the years watching this sort of expansion of animal movement and incorporation of animal movement is the, you know, how it sort of paralleled the expansion of yin yoga in the West or in North America, around the world. Because yin yoga comes from Chinese Kung Fu. Yin yoga is, is created by Pali Zinc. 
It's his personal little uh, conditioning for his hips and legs for his monkey kung fu form. And in Chinese kung fu, animal movements are a huge, huge part of the training because they get you out of your head, they get you into your body, and they get you perceiving movement differently. They get you perceiving and feeling your body differently, which is super, super important in the martial arts so that you can develop really, really refined and honed instincts for movement. And in gymnastics, we do a lot of... Uh, animal movements too, especially like right. with young kids. Mostly, I think because it's fun, but it also gets your body conditioned in a different way, and you do it in a fun way where kids aren't thinking of conditioning. You're not thinking about you know, oh, I'm moving my body like this. It's it's a fun way. Everybody knows by the time they're three what a bear walk is, yep. <laughs> what a crab walk is, um, galloping like a horse. So there's a lot of things that by a very young age you can say an animal name or an animal action yep. and gymnasts will know what to do and those are the basic building blocks and that was that's my perspective and understanding of movement with animals from that context and we make all kinds of games and all kinds of things that are that are fun that way and that's in the context of that sport and how we incorporate that into conditioning in a fun way without people thinking it's hard work, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? You know, and, and especially in this day and age where we have, you know, more personal trainers, we have lots of gyms, and everyone is trying to carve out their own niche and do something that looks amazing and, you know, incredible or hard or, you know, challenging because people like to challenge themselves, and animal movements are great for that. But there's a lot of marketing that goes on where people do, like, an animal movement sequence and I just look at it, it's like, oh, that's like basic Kung Fu training. That's like basic martial arts training. And it's just sort of like, well, yeah, okay. But, you know, we're, we're human, right? So in, in the Chinese martial arts, you got the, the four jewels of sitting, lying down, standing, and walking. And a lot of what I've trained in is actually how to be present, how to be physically present and feel your entire body in those four spaces, before you actually put yourself into contortions or any specific quote-unquote animal movement. It's like being aware of, of those four natural spaces of the human body are equally important. A lot of people will go to a class and they'll either weekend warrior it or they will be, you know, they'll do class two or three times a week and they'll be in that space two or three times a week and that's it. And they have no understanding of how to carry that space with them yeah. the rest of yeah, the time. Yeah, that's true. And the, their egos tell them that, oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and I'm so busy, and I'm getting all this training in, except they, they stop and start that awareness of their bodies, and they're only aware of their bodies when they're in class. And over time, people will just naturally build up that space if they do it long enough where it will actually, you know, spill out and spill over and be something that they carry along with them into their other activities during the day and during the week and during during their life. But that tends to be an almost inadvertent accident to the, you know, the scheduled class time versus it actually being a, a body awareness methodology versus, you know, doing a class and feeling great about yourself and being on that endorphin high for 24 hours and then, you know, not being able to wait to, you know, got to get back to class, got to get back to class. And it's like, you know, 
let's look at actually understanding how to carry that with you. Yeah, I think that's why to understand the context of what you're doing and to understand that and, and internalize that yeah. gives you a different perspective on it rather than like, yep. I think so often in our society we're like, well, I go to the gym and work out because it's, it's good for me. It's healthy for me. Everybody tells me like doctors, health people, everybody says I should do it. And, and we do it. But are we actually enjoying it? Yeah. Because sometimes I think we enjoy something more when we come at it from like, well, what context am I doing this in? Like, yes, it's good for me. But for me personally, there needs to be more, more than that, more. I need, I'd like to understand the context. I don't like to exercise just for the sake of exercising. Like, I think we've discussed this before, maybe in my interview or something with gymnastics where I really love that. And that was like my life. (laughs) Like it was my identity too, even for a long time, but it's nice to but I had a context. Everything that I did had a purpose. And I think that's what I felt like was missing for me. Other than just a health perspective, I like to have other purpose, like being learning to be present. That's why when I started learning Qigong with you and Bagua, it really focused me on myself because you cannot do Bagua if you are in your head and thinking about yep. everything else you got to do in a day and your shopping list and stuff like that. So for me, the the context, and I think I even asked you some of those questions when we first started training was, you know, I, I like to know the context mm-hmm. or even sometimes applications are important, even yep. if you never yep. use it as a self-defense. Yeah. But the application, like, well, how would you do this? Like, I like to understand, like, when I'm doing a certain movement or a certain palm change or something, what is it doing for me? Yeah. And, so and I can become aware of that when I'm doing it. And, it, and it's really interesting, like, uh, especially teaching, you know, the context of applications of a martial art, it's really, really clear right away who is in their body, who has a natural or, or space where they can, are present, they can feel their body and how they need to move. And... People who are really, really in their heads, really, really in fear. And I've had lots of people who just absolutely refuse to do applications because they just want the health benefits or they just want, you know, they they don't believe in violence or violence scares them. And I'm going, okay, well, like, look at that. Like, this is just, we're not practicing violence. We're practicing awareness. Right. Yeah. This is about awareness. Like, that's what Mm -hmm. I tell people. Like, this is about understanding how to move your body properly, how to feel it how to be present in your body no matter what. And if you know how to use a movement, your body can become more efficient at doing it. And it gives you more purpose, I think. And and more awareness, just Mm -hmm. more overall confidence with your body, which helps your mind relax and help you, you know, kick your ego to the curb a little bit. You know, your monkey mind that wants to keep you distracted and making those lists and chasing those squirrels because yeah. I remember the first year I learned Bagua oh. oh my god I was I was literally tripping yeah I was tripping over my and face. falling yeah. on my face every class because I was so in my head and I had it was such a shift from doing karate and the training yeah. of Bagua was just so much deeper than anything I'd ever experienced before. Yeah. Well, for me, like someone who can do flips and cartwheels and that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, right. And then it's like, wait, I can't even walk around a circle without, <laughs> without know, tripping over my feet. What? So I can squat 500 pounds, but I can't yeah. walk a circle? Yeah. How does that work? Oh, yeah. my God. Very different. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, very, very different. Every movement's natural. 
What you're going to do is where, what, what your mind's attached to. Yeah, it's like you don't have to move like an animal. <laughs> yeah. Like to be natural. Like yeah. I guess it's like people's perceptions of things. Like you get something in your head like, oh, if I do this, then I'm, you know, more yep. spiritual or yep. I'm more... Yep. Of a martial yeah. artist, or, or I'm I'm, I'm learning know? more, you know, yeah. more uh, more righteous fitness information because it's mm-hmm. like, you know, animal movement is like clo- closest to natural movement, blah blah blah. And I'm going, you know, my brain's going, yeah, but we're human. You know, it's just like mimicking animals is is fine, and that's a big thing because in like in, in Western fitness culture, it hasn't been a thing yet. Animal movements have not been a thing, so the context of the information. You know, except for me, it was totally lost on everybody there, hmm. right? And you know, so you know, it, it was it was a really really good learning experience to understand how people introduce information and how people just immediately attach to it as something advanced because they've never experienced it before. And this is a big problem in yeah. in, in the fitness world in 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 the martial arts world and something that I commonly, commonly, you know, come, come into contact with is people who have never trained in anything think that, you know, what I do or what someone else does is absolute magic, which was sort of like the context of this guy yesterday going, Oh, well, I've read like 200 books and I can tell like, he's got the magic. So it's like, yeah, even though I've never met him and I've never actually trained in this. And it's just like, although yeah, people who have trained in something though can also be the yep. same like i know in like the gymnastics world like everyone who trains in gymnastics is like well this is the ultimate thing and i mean for me too for a long time because a lot of movement in a lot of other disciplines comes from those simple gymnastics movements like when babies are born like you roll and you learn how to crawl and you learn how to locomote and all that kind of stuff but i was thinking about when you're talking about having um, talking about Qigong with a sports psychologist friend and the different perspectives where she just couldn't understand like about feeling your body. Like that didn't really make sense to her. It was like, well, no, like we teach like that they control their fears to be able to move, you know, to get through whatever block it is that they are with their, you know, sport or whatever, whatever they're, and it's like, it's not, they don't really train them to feel and then let it go. It's more about suppression. And I was like, oh, that's so, and she just couldn't really wrap her head around like that idea. And it was funny because after that conversation, I really haven't had, she doesn't talk to me that much anymore (laughs) (laughs) because it's, it's like, oh, you're weird. You're different. You're, you have a perspective. I don't, to, I, you know, I yeah, that, choose that, not that to understand. That contrasts with my own, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and this is one of the things, like, even, um, like, because Fagwa is considered, you know, a very esoteric art, and people get into it, I mean, especially Westerners can get, like, uh, a little stupid about it. It's like, oh, I'm doing something so spiritual, I'm so spiritual, look at me, I'm like, I'm like super, no, your opinion doesn't matter, because I'm, like, way more spiritual, because I'm doing this spiritual art, and I'm, like, super spiritual. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, you're moving your body. What are you doing with your mind? It's like, oh, well, I'm in this other realm and blah, 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 blah. It's like I'm contacting the celestials when I do this. I'm going, mm, mm, mm. yeah, okay. Um, practical realities here. It's just like, where are your feet? Where are your, like, you know, and oh, when I'm doing this, I'm like, I'm contacting this God of like, you know, this virtue and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, 
yeah, that's not how it works, right? The pe- people who who tell themselves stories because they want to feel really important or really special, or they're going to train with a certain master because they want to feel really, really special, um, support and, and foster this, this whole magical thinking space without understanding the historical context, the physiological context, there's the plain human kinetic context of practicing a physical discipline and what it actually does on the body. And so they, they feel something in their body and they feel it's their energy or their spirit or something like that. And they have no context. Right. So, so I was watching the, the video with, with uh, Polly Zink and real, realizing that these, a lot of these people probably, probably have no context for what he's doing or why he's doing it or that what he's showing them is just basic, you know, Kung Fu warmups. You know, the, the times that I went to a yin yoga class and they're like, Oh, this is like such a deep Taoist practice and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Die so hard keeping my mouth shut because like uh, uh, a Taoist practice has to do with being a bridge between heaven and earth. A real Taoist practice has everything to do with being a bridge between heaven and earth. This is why the silver thread is so important. This is why engaging the hands and the feet, doing standing stake or doing qigong or especially doing bagua. This is why bagua is a pure Taoist art because you are walking a circle. You're, you're being engaged, you're engaging your connection to the earth through your feet, through your bones. You have your hands and feet engaged at the same time. You're, you're wrapping and coiling in, in such a way that you're engaging full, deep breathing up through your spine. And your spine is the core element that unifies you with heaven and earth. By engaging your spine, you open up the body, you open up the front channel of the body and then you create that space for the silver thread or the central channel which is not a physiological thing it is an energetic thing once you have those two pathways in the body open enough then the central channel opens and you can actually engage it consciously and it becomes a real thing energetically in your body this is why understanding how to listen to your body but also having the physiological structural context of why you are listening to your body a certain way is really, really important. This is why in, in these meditations, I go into the whole context of breathing into your bones, listening to your bones, doing the silver thread, finding the earth. And I repeat that and I repeat that and I repeat that because it is so incredibly important to have that point of reference as a physical feeling, as a pure, purely physical feeling and not some vague mental projection or concept, but actually having it as this deep connection in the body through the bones to the earth because of what it gives you and what it gives your, your nervous system. Because this is about retraining your awareness and your mind to have the context and to build a baseline of points of reference so that you can, you know, so that you know innately when you're actually connected to your body, when you're actually present physically, so it stops being a mental thing. And this is the the big, big gap in all mindfulness practices and all quote-unquote spiritual practices and everything is we all talk about these uh, uh, concepts and components and there's there's very little connection to physical, visceral feelings in the body or the mechanics or the tools of how to actually embody that understanding 
as a feeling and to actually track and monitor those feelings so that you know that you are actually building the right kind of connection to the right kind of feelings inside the body. This is why the central channel meditation, the silver thread meditation, and breathing into the bones and the, and the bone marrow nagong that, we base, that we're basically doing in, in our meditations is so important because it provides concrete physical feeling points of reference for actually being able to go inside the body and build a point of reference and a context for feeling the body that over time builds up to a space where it's constant. It never ceases to be there. It becomes this, this background framework for everything that you do after a while. Every little movement, like even as I'm talking about this, like... Mm-hmm. You're lighting up? Yeah, like it's, it's, you know, it's that thing. It's like you have to build up the momentum with the right context, building the right points of reference for feeling the body so you build the right understanding of feeling in the body so that you have the right baseline that you're building. This is why structure is actually so incredibly important because you can, it's harder. It's a lot harder if you just go by feeling and not give yourself a concrete physical framework to work with. If you're going just by feeling, that's a huge, vast ocean. It really is. And it's really, really easy to get distracted, lost, and confused and not have an anchored, solid, connection to your own process if you're just going by feeling i feel this is why on like going back to something that you said where sometimes i think with teachers like um with paulie zinc what you were saying is that he's teaching some someone something and when people don't give all the information or maybe they don't as a teacher really understand what they're 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 what they need to give to people. Yeah. I'm trying to yeah, figure out how to yeah. word this because I know like on, on Udemy, your, your ratings are like really good because, and the, one of the comments that he gets the most is how much information he shares. He shares some, the information that a lot of martial arts teachers don't share. Yep. And so I think that's why like, month after month like your courses get popular because you do like you share all those little details and I think sometimes like with teachers they either hold that information back because they want to stay elevated above their students right because you but there's a way for you to still develop yourself and sort of stay knowledgeable like as long if you keep feeling i think you keep feeling and you keep going deeper into yourself there's more always more that you can teach people and i think it's such a dualistic idea that you know that well i can't share everything i know because then i'm i can't stay and then everyone will be at my level and i I won't be the you know the supreme teacher anymore yeah and that's not true because the more you understand i think about yourself and your own like in this case, we're talking about physical movement. Yep. You understand your own body. You can help people understand their body and their process yep. because it's everyone's a little different. So I think that, you know, to give you a pat on the back, I think that's also owning that we can transform, that, that we're allowed to change, we're allowed to transform, and that it's okay for us to do that and it doesn't make us, you know, egotistically better than or less than anybody 
Like there's, because there is a, I do feel with a lot of things, like people, like I know for myself, when I discovered the little ways that I won't allow myself to transform, right? There where I'm holding myself back and it's like, well, I'm the only person doing that. Not, no one else is doing that to me. I'm doing that for some misguided reason, (laughs) right? And I think that's, you know, where people get caught in, I need to be above people or I yeah, need to be. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a whole hierarchy. I can't it's, transform. It's the ego validation. It's the ego yeah. validation. I have been on the receiving end of, you know, so much in, in, um, in person, online, where people are like, oh, my, my master's like, oh, I'm the only one who knows like all three of these systems and there's only one that's real and I got it. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, that reminds me of that guy you used to have message you all the time, where it was like, "Hey, I know this Bagua. I could teach you some things." And you're like, "Oh yeah, the twenty-two. Have you been practicing for thirty years? Because I mean, you can always learn from people, but yeah, that was an you know, experience. That, that was, was he was something. I was, else. It was fascinating to <laughs> yeah. to feel. Comparison. It's fascinating yeah. to feel his complete <laughs> ignorance. Like, mm. you know, it's like, oh, well, my, my, my Bagua teacher says he learns from me all the time. And I'm going, yeah, I'm sure he but does. What, but, but what, what is, is he, he learning? Like, he tells you right? that all the time, but you've yeah. only been training with him for one year. Has he told you exactly what he's learning? Maybe yeah. he's actually learning about how arrogant you are and how ignorant you are and how that actually expresses in class. Yeah, or how to deal with when you're teaching a class, right? Yeah, it's just like, like you know, doesn't mean that he's learning. And I asked him, oh, you. okay, so you know, Bob yeah. Ross, so 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 how <laughs> how you know how much do you circle walk every day? He's like, oh, I don't circle walk. I just I just do the movements. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> you do yeah. the movements. Like, yeah, it's like super cool. My teacher says like I'm really good at it. I'm going, uh huh. And how long have you been training with him? Oh, like you know, like just a little over a year. And he says like I'm I'm mastering stuff already. I'm going, mm-hmm. Well, and it could also be that this person, that teacher is being sarcastic. Yeah. But if you're so ego, like in your head and someone says to you, wow, that was great. And you don't pick up on the sarcasm at all. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know, like, I know, right? Well, you know, maybe he's well, yeah. well, my, my friend, my friend Phil that taught me uh, standing stick, that taught me uh, uh, each tune, like it took me about two years to sort of like, you know, cause he's got the yeah. Chinese accent and funny guy but it took me about two years to, to clue into his sarcasm and yeah. what, what yeah, i did when i did i was just like so oh my much. god you mean all this okay when you say that you're you're being oh my god you're being sarcastic it's like <laughs> right. ah and then, yeah. then then it was just like then we were golden he's like yeah you know it's like i know i'm, I'm chinese i get it it's like, yeah. you know it's like you got to get through the accent and we think you know certain things are funny that other like people don't think are funny at all right i'm like cultural humor <laughs> yeah cultural humor it's just like it's different you know, at first my, my, you know, my instinct was like, you arrogant, you know, so-and-so like what, what, like how, why. Right. And, but I listened to him and I talked to him and it took two years. Like he, he, he would disappear. I'd say something and he's like, Oh, right. And then he'd like disappear for like, you know, a couple months and then he pop back up. It's like, Hey, yeah. So you want to like learn like the Bagua secrets and stuff like that. I'm like, Oh, really? Like there are secrets in Bagua? He's like, yeah. Like all this stuff, you know, I could teach you all these meditations and all the Qigong. I'm like, Oh, no kidding. It's like, oh, yeah. It's like, oh, what are they called? It's like, well, it's called this and that. It's like, oh, yeah, I learned that when I was 15. And he's like, what? Oh, yeah, it's it's here in this, and it's in the in the Bagua form. If, mm-hmm. And if you're even if you're doing circle walking, then, it, then it's, you know, it's this posture. And he's like, oh. And then he'd, like, disappear, <laughs> right? But at about the two-year mark, he began, he, he, it finally sunk in that it's like, 
I, I should do circle walking. You're, you're right. I, I've been wrong. It's like, wow. Wow, have I been wrong. Okay. And he's like, you know what? Thank you so much for being so patient and so polite and stuff like that. You really could have, like, you know, just been super insulting and, you know, just beating me over the head with this. I'm going, yeah, I know. I was like, I'm, and he's like, and he apologized for being so arrogant. It's going, yeah, it's, you know, and the thing is, like, this is, you know, having, oh, yeah. t- teaching publicly, uh, you know, having other martial artists come to my class, like, so there's like a secret technique for like all this stuff, right? All this Bagua stuff. Like, what's the secret technique for Bagua? Yeah. I'm going, someone's been watching too much Dragon Ball Z. So yeah, it's like understanding the context, understanding the information and the context that you're receiving it in, right? Is super, super important. And this is one of the things that my friend Phil taught me an awful lot about in terms of the Chinese martial arts, because he was trained in Hong Kong, Wing Chun, Hungar, Tai Chi. And Ichun, like his teacher, gave you know, uh, part of a lineage, uh, the Li Ying Arn, famous, famous in Hong Kong. And yeah, like he he taught me an awful lot about the politics in Chinese martial arts. Even if you're from a, like the north or south of China, like there's huge barriers. You know, if you're living in China, like it's just like I'm going, wow. He's like, yeah, this is why you know this teacher would have come here and started. started, started you know, set up shop and there are all these fights and, you know, then, then he had to move away because there's just no way that he was going to be accepted into the martial arts community because he was from this province. It's like, wow. It's like, yeah, which is why like, you know, people haven't discovered his stuff until like 20 years ago kind of thing. Right. God bless the internet. Understanding the context of the information and how we actually attach to it and why we attach to it. And what that actually feels like in our body is the whole point of being able to observe our mind and break our patterns of attachment by being able to feel their presence in our body. Because having a baseline where you are creating all of these feelings in your body over and over and over again, and it's the same movements and it's the same space that you train in. And this is why in Tai Chi and Qigong, a lot of people will wear the same clothes because it's the somatic cognitive association with the clothes that repeats the same stable baseline of experience. People wear the same clothes. This is why they wear this. Like, this is why. It's because it's, it's, it has a psychological effect. It has a direct effect on the nervous system of recreating that same space, you go into the same clothes, they bring out that feeling. And then you have an even more, and I used to do that. I used to wear the same shirt, you know, in summer, the same shorts, always, you know, as often as I could. When I was training at home, it was like, I had like four or five shirts and the same, you know, either sweats or my Kung Fu pants. You know, I've burned through like three sets of Kung Fu pants, like training with them all the time. Because again, it's that association that builds the connection with that space. And the deeper the connection, the more repeated that connection is, the stronger and the deeper it gets. And this is the whole point. So you have such a strong baseline, such a strong connection to your body that it's unshakable. So that there is no question of the feeling. And that's why the repetition over and over and over again. And that's why the repetition is needed to break the attachment. This is why having physical disciplines, physical movement disciplines that gets you moving in your body 
are so important because they give you a baseline for feeling movement in your body, for feeling your body moving and feeling what your mind does or tries to do, your monkey mind or your, your attachment, your programming. I mean, if you're, you're talking or you're sitting or you're doing something and your mind's like elsewhere, you make you know lists or what you have to do later in the day or you know if you're hungry or what blah 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 all the little distractions are the basic self-defense programs that your shadow your ego your reptilian brain your whatever you want to call it uses to keep you distracted from being present it's like we were getting music ready for the meditation and there was that commercial no, are and you this, an empath? And this guy was like, oh, are you an empath? Do you walk into a room and you feel these people and then all of a sudden you're, you feel like this. And it, it stuck with me today because I thought, well, I used to be like that where I thought, oh, I'm so sensitive. I feel everybody and I'm so tired and I'm drained. And the more you do this, the work of detaching from that because you don't have to be an empath like that. It doesn't you don't have to be drained when you go into a place. The more grounded you are, the more you let go of the things that are actually weighing you down. And I thought, oh, that's, I realized like a little more clearly today, like that's how people, it's, it's, they're looking at everything still outside themselves. Like, yep. yes, you can feel people. Yep. I can feel when someone's angry. I can feel when someone's sad, but I don't have to be affected by that. I don't have to give my power to that. I don't have to give my power yep. to someone else's emotion or feelings. I can bring it back in. And yep. until you really practice that, I know that there was, I forget if it was a form or it was a thread one time where I was trying to explain this to, to people. And probably at that time, I couldn't quite explain it. And people were like offended. People yep. get offended that if you suggest that there is something else that they could do for themselves to like, keep their power or to increase their health. Like I'm blown away by all the people that are like, did they just give their power? Like, well, I, there's nothing I can do. I'm like, yes, there is. <laughs> yeah. They, like, they, they believe, yeah. People, people that believe it's, that their body is weak. Yeah. And they, and just, they have no power and, and they're, they're a victim, right? It's, it's, it's straight up victim thing. I know. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember you yeah. telling me about that thread and she's, Amazing how people are so defensive about yeah. being a victim. They want to be a victim. They're programmed to be a victim. Yeah. It's comfortable. They have no context for anything else in their lives, from their lives. So they choose to constantly be addicted to being a victim because that is what is their emotional fix. And that is what makes them feel better about themselves is being a victim and being stuck. And it's really, yeah. really hard when you. Offer, Poor me, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, uh, yeah. This is this is why I teach qigong. This is why I teach bagua and and the meditation is because there are so many things people can do. I mean, you know, my my context for this is learning qigong and not wanting to be a victim of my asthma, not wanting to constantly be in fear of dying. You know, uh, seven or eight times, real close, right? When I was a kid. And that I was just like, I couldn't stand it. I could not stand the idea that my body was not stronger. And this is, this is why I ended up doing Qigong. And yeah, like a year later, gone. Year and a half, my bronchitis was gone. Too. Like it was just, I'm like, okay, like for real, like what else, what else can I do with my body? Like what, what else is there? You know, and, and Kelly's absolutely right. It's just like people are so 
you know, it's, you know, again, it's, it's the line from, from the matrix movie yeah. where Morpheus is explaining all this to Neil. It's like people are so inured, so embedded in the matrix in their, in their illusion that they will fight kicking and screaming. If you offer them a different path. And this is, mm. this is the big problem that people don't understand. They think that it's, it's all about just reading a book and doing some techniques. And they don't, they don't even believe that it's possible. They don't even consider it a possibility that their ego will fight them. That their programming will actually fight them and keep them from being present and keep them stuck in being yeah. a victim. Well, I think it, it happens with people even when you're doing this inner work yep. because there, there, I know for me, it was, there was a point where I went, Oh, I have to assume all the time that my ego is going to try to stop me from transforming yep. because it does. Yep. And it does in little subtle ways that like in the last two weeks, like when we had those Darlene workshops, like especially that one evening where I went, Oh, I'm really annoyed and irritated about this particular thing. And I don't, know why and I started just saying things out loud and it wasn't throwing anything at people and I finally got to this place where I went oh wait I don't want to accept this because I know that that's that that space is real and it's there for me and I've kind of opened the door to it but I just kind of stuck my foot in to leave the door open I didn't really open it and leave it open it was like well, I'll kind of like open it. I'll test the waters and see if I feel safe. And then it was, and then it was funny because you know, once you open the door, then you realize all the little ways that you've kept yourself from feeling that to transform. Yeah. And then it's like I was sad, and it's it. You know, people. I think, oh, when you open up your heart, yeah, people expect this rush. And sometimes, I mean, you do get that, but yeah, you do. You get know, it. Sometimes you get like that rush of like, wow, feeling and ah, but it's not like rainbows and bunnies. And like, That's it was like, I was sad for like two days. I was like really yeah. feeling melancholy. I'm like, oh my God, I almost feel depressed. Like I don't, you know, just because I was like, wow, I've kept myself from actually being in that space. You know, need to remember that my ego is going to. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> that my ego is always going to try to. Yeah. You, yeah, yeah, you always have to remain vigilant. And it's, it's one of the big things that is not talked about uh, is the reality of, of real healing. When you, when you step into a new space, you have to see the old space and you have to see what you did yourself, what you did to yourself to keep yourself limited and to keep yourself from feeling. And all the choices and the hurt and the pain that you held on to to keep yourself in that limited space. And yeah, the whole delusion that, oh, I opened my heart and there's bliss and there's joy. And it's like, yay, I feel so wonderful. Like the number of times that people see, you know, after they've done a meditation where it's just like, oh my God, I feel a new freedom and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, wait for I'm it. I'm always like, wait for wait it. Wait for it. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, five, because, six, yeah. five, six days later, people are like, oh my God, like all this happened and blah, 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 well, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, what the because, heck? And I feel like this and I feel like this and I don't yeah. know. I feel like, you know, I'm crazy. I'm going. Because you feel that, that was four days space. this time. Are you keeping track? Yeah. That's four. No, that was almost five days this time before the other shoe dropped. Yeah, right. But it doesn't even have to be like eventually that the other shoe drops. If you just accept yep. Yep. that that's sort of the process, space, yep. or you accept something for yourself. I think that people, because you pull yourself. Like I know it used to take me 
a long time, like, well, it felt like a long time, a few days when I would uncover something. And then I would just be like, sort of zombie, like for a few days and like, Oh my God. And you know, this work is work, (laughs) but then it's like when you actually just, when you, I think when you can get to a point of acceptance that, well, yeah, when you, when you open yourself up to a brand new space and you're transforming, you are going to have to see and unravel the things that you've done to yourself to keep you from being in that space. You, if you accept that, it's not, you don't have to feel like you're pulled down. Yep. Like yeah, you, you're exactly, going to feel exactly, sad yeah. and you're going to, and you just can yep. let it go. But I know that, you know, sometimes it would prevent me almost from working because I would just be so like, Oh my God. Yeah. And now I'm like, Oh, now I actually have work that I can do that, helps me process like yep. I don't get stuck in those feelings either because I think that was a big thing for me like starting to really do this work consciously is because you know what I've done my whole life I've underreacted where something would happen and I'd be triggered and I would just like stuff it down and pretend I didn't feel anything and I'd be like yeah I don't feel anything and then when you actually do the work and you bring it out and you feel all of it at first like it was so then that was overwhelming to me yep. Because I'm like, I'm feeling all these things that I didn't allow myself to feel before. And it's like, oh, now I got to find that balance where I don't have to feel overwhelmed by it because it's just going to come up and I'm going to let go of it. And then, and I'm okay throughout the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But I think there was a point in my own journey where I went, oh, I feel all this. I'm not okay. I'm not okay. And it took me a while to go, yes, I am. I am okay. I was always okay. It was just, you know. Yeah, yeah, and it was, it was interesting was talking about that. Yeah. Made made me realize how I had actually adopted patterns of overreacting because of my ex wife, and how you know before I ever learned Reiki, back when I used to just meditate and be out in the bush and stuff like that, I was calm all the time. I could, you know, I've I could transmute and process through, you know, heavy emotional states naturally quite easily. And it wasn't until, you know, wanting to, you know, again, it's like moving into the city and being around a lot of unstable people, adopting a lot of emotionally unstable patterns in order to fit in. Because, you know, it was sort of like one of those things. And I, I didn't realize like how much I'd actually adopted it until like, you know, Kelly and I were actually talking about like this whole overreacting thing. I went, oh yeah, right. Cause I was, I spent like, you know, a few years around people who were doing drugs and really unstable. And I didn't fit in and I wanted to fit in. So I developed yeah. verbal expression patterns that matched everything that was around me. And then my, my ex-wife didn't really understand or believe anything I said unless I was in tears. Or unless we yeah. were yelling at each other. It was Yeah, like you can't have an emotion unless you're actually like... Yeah, so... <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> sorry, not to laugh, but it's like when I experienced you being angry, it was like, it's oh, not yeah, anything yeah, first, yeah. like I've ever experienced. And even in my marriage where, you know, angry and you're fighting and then, you know, he'd be like, well, I am, I am angry. I'm like, what you are. Uh, and it's like, <laughs> like, no, no, really. This is me. Like, like enraged right now. And she'd be like, yeah. I'm like, how does that so, work? I'm going, how, how do you, just... how are you so energetically calm? And yet you're feeling rage like i don't yeah i'm like oh yeah i want to i want to okay. break stuff and, and hurt people right now and that's kind of like you know what's going on and that's just yeah. my rage and 
blah, 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 yeah. blah. And, like, okay. You know, yeah. and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's not something that I'd really ever experienced because most people either, you know, act it out. get upset and like act it out yeah. or, you know, they, they suppress it because they don't want to express it to you or something. But you, you know, can whatever. feel you can feel it, any, you feel it anyway, yeah. but. Yeah, so, so, so this, it's very different. So, so this, yeah, right. So this is a context in terms of actually having a, a baseline of calmness inside of yourself while your mind is trying to get you to feel certain certain things. While you're triggered, going back into your calm baseline. That's the whole point of stepping into observation. It's not like being neutral and calm all the time and like joyful and blissful. It's like no, 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 no. No, it's it's having that stillness inside. It's having that calmness inside. That is your natural state. That is heart alignment. It's not bliss. It's not joy. It's not being happy or euphoric all the time. It's the calm stillness because that's the deep, deep peace of the cosmic ocean. That's where it resides in that calmness and stillness. You cannot access it any other way. And this is why having a physical discipline, having a meditation discipline, having a self-observation discipline that you maintain 100% of the time no matter what is so essential so having 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 this context of of stillness inside of observation this is why qigong is so important direct impact on the nervous system regulating the body and the mind and the nervous system through regulating the blood flow same thing with the lymphatic fluid regulating the nutrients in the body and the fluid flow and the glands the gland health in the body hormone health in the body everything is related to stress when you're doing qigong you're de-stressing the body because you're regulating the flow in the body this is why having a physical discipline is so important so that you repeat it you repeat the same movement so that you can observe yourself and this is this is this is how people evolve spiritually is by observing themselves listening to themselves Listening to the contrast. This is why stepping in and out of contrast, stepping in and out of alignment is actually really important and a key element in your evolution. And it's something that people do not understand because they'll freak out. It's like, oh my God, this and blah, 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 blah. And they spiral and they don't understand. And then like, you know, five days later, they're all like calm. It's like, oh, wow, I don't know. Like, I'm, I feel like horrible now. And I, I was such a bad person the last few days. And I eat like this and I did this. And, and they're, 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 they're stuck on their external actions and they're not observing the space that they held or they stepped in and out of emotionally. They're not understanding that, that there's this back and forth and that is a key element of actually learning how to feel your alignment with your heart. Everything else is just doing the work and putting the time in. It really is that simple, but, you know, yeah, we get, we get hijacked and we get distracted and if we don't understand that there's this space inside of us that, that we can connect with, and observe all of the uh, machinations, all the all the patterns and and programming from, and then it, and then it's a lot harder. And then we 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 almost automatically slip into a, a space of suppressing ourselves to maintain control or to create that false sense of observation instead of letting go and observing and stepping back and just telling ourselves that we're okay <clears throat> to feel what we're feeling and to just observe it and to then choose. Instead of like, as you said, being swept up in all the feelings and all the thoughts and stuff like that, when we stop identifying with those feelings, when we stop, oh yeah, I'm not this pain. This is this is not my program. This is something I inherited from my parents. 
or this is something I adopted because I was around these friends and I wanted to be like them. I wanted to be accepted in, into this circle of friends. Yeah, especially for me, if I get irritated with something or someone and I can't shake it, I know that there's something that I don't want to see. And that's, that's one of my clues for sure is like, especially when my mind wants to fixate on a certain person or maybe a certain part of their behavior or something like that. I'm like, okay, what, what am I not looking at about, about me? And then, or, or another one that my daughter and I talked about the other day too, was she kept talking to me about something she was going through. And she says, well, I wish this was different. I wish this was like this. I wish it had turned out like that. And I stopped her and I said, okay, you've said that a lot today. Now ask yourself, do you actually wish it was different? Because our mind will tell us, oh, I wish it was like this when actually maybe we don't. Maybe it's the opposite. Like we actually are, because we have our own knowing that we already knew that the situation or whatever it is wasn't going to work out the way we thought, but we don't want to know. We don't want to accept that's our inner, our own inner knowing. And so then we put it off onto, oh, well, I'm not happy because this happened and I'm not happy about that. But it's like, so I know if I get stuck on something and I can feel it spinning, I will, I'll stop and ask myself, like, do I actually wish that or is it the opposite? Do yeah, I actually, yeah. am I just having a hard time accepting that, you know what, I, I actually am okay with this because our ego doesn't want to be okay with stuff. Our ego wants to keep us like in conflict about something. So how dare we say, oh, I'm actually okay with this situation. I'm still okay. Mm-hmm. Even though maybe that's not quite where I want to be, but I'm okay. I'm still okay. But our ego always wants us to be like, you're not okay. So our egos, yeah, our egos don't want us to feel that we're okay sometimes. And I know for me, I have to be careful when I shift out of an old belief or I'm working towards that and I'm in transition is that I will personally feel like I have a hole inside where I feel like I put all this energy and time into believing something or into, you know, it might be just as for example, like trying to prove something to someone or whatever it might be or wanting people to notice my talents. And when you actually just stop all of that, then you're like, oh, what do I do with this energy? Mm-hmm. And then your ego mm-hmm. will try to fill it with something. And I often yeah. find that it'll try to resurrect an old story from the dead. Like yeah, or, something or, or that get, I've get, worked you know, through worrying and I'll start about something else. worrying about something else. Yep. And I, you have to be very vigilant and watch and that you your mind's you not doing that yep. because your mind will do that. It's going to try really hard when you're moving into a new phase. You know, for example, just the place I'm in my life right now, it's something that I've worked towards for a few years and I know there are more things I want to do. But then my ego will try to hook me back into the old stories that I'm not okay and I got to worry about this and that. And it's like, wow, yep. you're trying really hard <laughs> to... Yes, when we when we actually stop our minds and change a narrative and we let go of an old space, there will be a hole where that old space used to reside in our psyche, in our energy field, in the way that we have held on to it physically 
feeling wise in our bodies and our minds, our egos, like our shadow, our, our, which is like the bridge between our defense mechanisms and our ego, the manifestation of our ego and our egoic actions, our shadow will try and sneak in like little dramas to seed something new, to fill that hole, yeah. to retain control over your dialogue, your internal dialogue and your narrative of your life, of who you are, who you think you are, because your emotional defense mechanisms, once they've been programmed when you're a kid, they tend to stay that way unless you are able to stop yourself and look at them and change. And yeah, the the ego does not like that. Your defense mechanisms do not like that. Your shadow is constantly, constantly monitoring. It's like the project manager for your ego patterns and your emotional defense mechanisms. Mm. And it will it will communicate between the two of them, like your reptilian brain is like those that that, f- yeah, that fight or flight, you know, the analogy. fight, flight or, or or freeze. You know, yeah, your shadow yeah. is like the project manager for your fight, flight, or freeze programming of of emotional illusion of who you are and how we hold on to it. And it will constantly, oh, there's a gap here. We need to, like, stick, you know, a, a new, you know, warm body, a new, like, narrative story into there. We've got a gap in our programming. Like, literally, like, think of, like, a programming for a rec center. Oh, we have time. We have a space here. We need to, like, put something in it. We need to fill it with something. We need to fill it with something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, make the most and the best use of our space and time and energy. Right. Except what most people really need to do. And that that is like a common thing. Like say when someone loses uh, a pet mm, mm-hmm. and they go out the next day and buy another pet, right? they are not giving themselves time to grieve. They're not giving themselves any kind of space to let themselves feel. They are immediately filling that gap in their lives, in, in their idea of who they are, and not giving themselves one hair of a moment to actually look at what they are feeling. Yeah. And I think to bring it back to where we started at the beginning Mm -hmm. with movement and seeing things from different perspectives, like we are free to change our perspective and our beliefs at any time. We do not have to stay stuck believing or seeing things the same way that we always have. It's when you actually change it and you change it, your ego will fight to make it make you see it the other way. Like even when I had my surgery and I was going through recovery and I knew that for me, the hernia surgery was the best thing that I didn't. And I was told too um, by some surgeons that, you know, this needed to be repaired and I was in a lot of pain. And so I had to really cut back for a good year if not more, Mm. on the physical activity I was doing. And that was a real thing because I really needed to make sure that I wasn't making it worse. Mm -hmm. And But then going through the recovery with the pain too, my my ego, I caught it a couple of times trying to say, oh, hey, we're in pain. I don't know. Should we be doing this? And it's just to stop that narrative and say, oh, yes, yes, I can. And I've learned how to, again, to move my body in ways that I could before and to relearn and go, hey, I can do mm-hmm, this again. Mm-hmm. I don't I'm not. I don't have to stay in that space. And then things that I might have been able to do years ago, I'm now saying, oh, hey, I can do these things. The context is totally different. The context is different. So, yeah, I think you really have to look at the context of things that – Context, I don't know. Context for me is just so important because I think people see something. We see something in a linear way. You see it. Someone says something and then we make all sorts of assumptions and judgments about that one 
point in time, and we have no, no context. Time, that, that one little piece of no context without yeah. any context, and this is mm-hmm. one of the things. Like, oh, you shouldn't do that because of this and this and this. Yeah. It's like, okay, but that's your perspective. Right. Ooh, it's not my, not your body. This is my body, and this is what I feel I need. So I need to like understand why I feel this way. Exactly. You yeah. Know? And someone else's perception of like what you're going through is important to appreciate and understand their context as to why. But again, a lot of people will not be forthcoming in their personal context as to why. As in they will not share their personal experiences as to why they understand mm-hmm. something a certain way. Yeah. And then when you make a statement, they feel attacked. Yep. But you weren't you were just saying your perspective. Yep. You weren't attacking anyone yep. because their perspective is different. I know that when I say things, people's perspectives are going to be different. Yep. But it's having that conversation. And I think you have to learn how to have those conversations with yourself first. Yeah. And to know what you're yep. actually saying in your own head. And then it becomes easier to communicate with other people because then you understand that when someone makes a statement, they're not attacking you. No. They're just coming from a different perspective. And if you want to share yours and feel safe and say, oh, well, hey, this has you know, been my experience and this is my perspective and know that you know, you're not trying to change their mind. They're not trying to change yours. But then when you see those together, you can open it up to an even bigger picture. Because everyone has a different perspective on things. And it doesn't make one right or one wrong. It's not really about and, and that. And giving, giving context and personal perspective when you are sharing with someone is so important. Because then they understand why you are saying what you are. You know, when, you know, whether you're supporting someone sharing just a, a, you know, uh, a relevant piece of information just as just information or whether or not, you know, okay, look, I see that you're, you're doing this or I see that you're hiding this. And I understand that, you know, you don't want to uh, communicate about this because you feel insecure and you're scared that you're going to be judged. But let's actually have a conversation about that because, you know, context, actual two-way communication is the basis for actual discernment of real sharing and loving kindness and supportive communication and the ability to actually move forward personally, individually, or as a collective, as a group. There is no way that judgment and anger and fear can be supported in real two-way communication. And when it is present in two-way communication, it always comes up. It always rears its ugly head and becomes really, really evident when someone else is judging. Mm. And being able to discern and be able to step back from that space and not take it personally because that's that person's context. Exactly. And it's not yours. Right. So I appreciate you sharing your perspective and context today. All right. Thank you. And thanks to everybody who is listening. And we hope that you found some value in what we shared. And we'll talk to you next time. Thank you for joining us today on The Open Door. We have enjoyed our discussion and hope you have too. Until next time, we're Kelly. And Kelly.